0: Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. The book of James is often regarded as one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. As we are coming near the end of this short book, we hope and pray that these messages have been practical to your own walk with Christ. Today, Pastor Roy will be looking at the last few verses in chapter 4 with a message entitled, Plans, A Matter of Providence.
1: If you open your Bibles to James chapter 4, we're continuing our series, The Matters of Real Christianity. Today we're going to focus on chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. We'll read through that. James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James has a way of just bringing everything into focus, and into clarity for us in simple terms. And today I've entitled the message, Plans, A Matter of Providence. I recently read a story of a man who thought he had a foolproof plan for sneaking into a drive-in movie without paying. He would crawl into the trunk of his car and his wife would pay only for herself. Once inside the drive-in, she would let him out of the trunk. The plan sounded good, but it failed. The man did crawl into the trunk, and his wife did drive into the theater just as they planned. Only when she attempted to release him did they realize the problem with the plan. The husband had the keys to the trunk in his pocket. After firemen cut through the trunk, the man was released, but neither he nor his wife saw the movie. Some plans sound good, but they do not work. Even if this plan had worked, it would have really not been called good because the intent was to deceive and enjoy a movie at someone else's expense. God's plan for creation is good. The goal for which he instituted his creation is of the highest good. It is good in a functional sense because it works, and it produces the ends for which God ordained it. Ultimately, it is good because it is God's plan. James tells us three reminders that I want to give us today that I think are are crucial for us to remember as we are making our journey through life. The first reminder is this what I achieve in life is from God's hand what we achieve in life is from the hand of God and then I want to give another statement right after that and that is that we are to beware of personal achievement at the expense of our relationship with God we can live life in the fast lane we can live too fast to stop and reflect. Here in this passage, there is no evidence of prayer or seeking God's will. When you see, he says, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Nothing about prayer, nothing about seeking the will of God, but just making their own plans. Somebody said, too many of us spend our time the way politicians spend our money, and I think it's true. So here's what James is saying. Do not make plans without asking God. Knowing that we are made from dust, we will return to dust. How can we confidently make plans apart from the mind and heart of God? Many Jews had left Palestine. If we go back to chapter 1 for just a brief moment and you look at the opening verse, James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. They had been scattered out. Many Jews had left Palestine. And they settled in cities throughout the Mediterranean world to pursue financial wealth. Trade was seen as a door to financial freedom and obtain the good life, these people were calculated and self-confident planners without figuring God into the equation. They made decisions on where they would go, what they would do, and how long they would stay, apart from God. I know that when we came here, it was a big move from the East to the Midwest. And the reason we came is because we sought the will and mind and heart of God. And we know that God led us here. And it's a wonderful thing to do that. Now, I'm sure I can point back at other times in my life where I ran ahead of the Lord. And I paid the consequences and the price for doing that. And maybe you have felt the same thing. We need to be encouraged not to run ahead of the Lord, but to seek Him for the plans that He has for us. James does not rebuke them for making money or making investments. That's not wrong. It's not bad. He's just saying to do it apart from the mind and heart of God is wrong. It's not wrong to plan for the future, to get life insurance, or to save up for retirement. James is condemning these kind of decisions apart from prayerful planning. That's what he's condemning. The futility of making plans apart from God In other words, what is the motivation for them to make all this money? Is it to buy things to impress people? Is it to be able to travel and do things and say, look at me? I will have to say, I think there's a lot of good things on Facebook, but there's also a lot of bragging on Facebook. (laughs) Like, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look what I've accomplished. And I think we have to be careful William Barclay says this was an age of the founding of cities and often when cities were founded and their founders were looking for citizens to occupy them, citizenship was offered freely to the Jews for where the Jews came money and trade followed. So the picture is a man looking at a map and saying where do I want to go, what do I want to do, how do I want to make money in this city and not really consulting the Lord. I often think about a, man that I, a young man that I met when I was younger, as a student at Liberty University. He was actually the first guy that befriended me. And we became, I think, semi-close friends because he came out of a pastor's home, I came out of a pastor's home. We developed a friendship. I was studying for the ministry. He was studying for the ministry. But you know what happened? We graduated, we parted ways. And he began to pursue a master's degree in psychology. And he kind of took that route and not only did he not get into ministry, but he began to open his own business and he was training lawyers how to make six figures. He wrote some books and went on cruises and talked about all these things he accomplished, how he could write a book while he was on a cruise and do all these things. But you never hear him talk about God or giving God any credit. And the last time I spoke to him was a number of years ago, and at that point, he had not even donned the doors of a church for eight years. Making plans apart from God, personal achievement at the expense of our relationship with God will take us far away from what the Lord has for us. I think our, our talk... Let me me say this first. Beware of chasing a dream that God has not sanctioned. Our talk reveals much about our relationship with God. Let me give you an example. In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He can't interpret it, so he goes to the astrologers, he goes to the wise men, and he says, tell me what this dream means. None of them can tell him what it means. And so he finally gets Daniel to tell him what this dream means. And Daniel basically tells the king that your kingdom is coming to an end. That you, you are gonna, your rulership is coming to an end. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. All, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, after Daniel tells him the dream... As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, here's what the king said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Doesn't that sound just like I'm going to go there and I'm going to make money and I'm going to this city and I'm doing that. The words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven came. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals and eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away to eat like an animal. You see, we have to understand that everything we have is from God, is a gift from the Lord. And the Bible says if we make plans apart from God, we are a fool. And that's been made remarkably clear in Luke chapter 12. There's a parable that Jesus told about the rich fool. He said the ground of a certain rich man in Luke 12 produced a good crop, He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He said, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. See, we can be guilty even as Christians to make God our cosmic genie. That God is going to bless me. He's going to give me wealth. He's going to give me material possessions. He's going to give me good health. He's going to give me a great future. He's going to fulfill my dreams. He's going to heal my wounds immediately. He's going to multiply my money. And maybe God hasn't sanctioned that for our life. I'm reminded of the words of Charles Spurgeon. He said Earth's goods are like birdlime and are fearfully apt to glue us down to things below and prevent our soaring towards heaven. It's good advice. They had a passion for making profit apart from the mind and heart of God. Let's go on to number two. Number, reminder number two is our physical life is extremely brief. He says in verse 14, "Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is uncertain. There are no ironclad guarantees in this life. God has not given the believer any guarantees in this life that we will experience great health. Over time, our vision gets worse, our hearing becomes impaired, our memory fades. Our body breaks down more often. We make more trips to the doctor. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way it is. Our energy gets depleted because our body is wearing out. I'm reminded of the phenomenal philanthropist Andrew Carnegie who desperately wanted more life. He felt he could make a lasting contribution to society if he had ten more years. He offered $200 million for another decade. That's $54,794 a day, or $38 a minute. But no one could accommodate him. Because the Bible says all our days have been ordained by God. He determines the length of our life. He determines the quality of our life. The quantity of our life is all by God. And it is very, very brief. (laughs) And the older I get, the more I realize that. He says it is like a vapor. It's like smoke. It's here one minute and gone the next. It's very transitory. I remind of the words in Proverbs 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. God does not condemn planning. I think we need to plan for the future. But we do so in light of eternity. We do so in light of this God of providence. Also in Job 29, verses 25 and 26, My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away with a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus like eagles swooping down on their prey. When he talks about a runner, he's talking about those who would take news, whether it was on foot or on a camel, and they would soon disappear as you watched them out of sight. Or you watch a ship and it would soon disappear off the horizon. Or an eagle that would swoop down to get its prey. It happens so quickly. That's what happens to our life. Let me give us some advantages to consider the brevity of life because it sounds, man, it's a little depressing. You're like, man, that's a little depressing. My life is so short. Uh, But there are some reasons I think we should consider the brevity of life. Let me give you five quick ones. Number one, it encourages the believer to focus on eternal things. In Colossians 3.1, he says, To set our affection on things above. Since we have been raised with Christ, and Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set our hearts on things above. When we understand the brevity of life, we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. That is a constant coming back to the Word of God on a regular basis to keep our minds focused on eternity and why we're here. Number two, it causes us to think seriously about worldly pursuits and pleasures. I mean, what worldly pursuits and pleasures am I going to invest in when my life is so short? I need to think about that deeply. And if you have not made peace with God, you are not reconciled in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to think seriously about worldly pursuits and pleasures, and the brevity of your life, what are you waiting for to give your life to Christ? Maybe you are here too as a believer and you have not totally, as we talked about last week, surrendered your life to the Lord. He said, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That idea of surrender is not easy to do, but God is asking us to surrender our life in light of the brevity of life. We need to do that. Thirdly, to be diligent in our Christian duty. He says in Ephesians 5.16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And if we went back to the Gospel of John and look at the example of Jesus in John chapter 4, when he was journeying, he said he must needs go through Samaria. And why was he going through Samaria? To minister to that woman at the well, because his time was brief. He wanted to carry out and be busy about his father's business to be busy in our Christian duty. What is your role in the church? And are you fulfilling it? Are you doing what God has equipped you to do and gifted you to do? Are you using it? Not one, one of these days means none of these days. <laughs> we need to give our lives to the Lord now. Number 4. It reminds us that our time is in God's hands. Philippians 3:20 but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. Our time is in his hands. We are citizens of heaven. And we need to do what we do now. Fifthly, it causes us to think about what kind of legacy we want to leave behind he tells us in Psalm 90 verse 12 teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom what kind of legacy do you want to leave with your children your grandchildren your great-grandchildren what kind of legacy do you want to leave is it one chasing worldly pursuits earthly dreams I think about those who followed the gold rush Or the oil boom, and all of a sudden, the bottom comes out. What kind of legacy do we want to leave? Those are great things about the brevity of life that God allows us to think about. And I would encourage you to take out a paper and begin to write down, what kind of legacy am I leaving now? And what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? Well, time is going on, so I want to go to number three. Discern to know the will of God in planning for the future. Discern to know the will of God in planning for the future. This is the idea of the providence of God. The providence of God means that God is involved in His creation. He is monitoring and managing all of our activities... The Westminster Confession would say he is doing all of this according to the immutable counsel of his own will. What it means by immutable is that God does not change. His will does not change over time. So many people in our culture are doing different things and say, well, it's okay, it's a new day. It may be a new day, but the truth has not changed. God's will is still God's will. It's fixed, it's permanent, it's eternal his word. He tells us in Proverbs 16.1, we do need to surrender our will to God's will. Proverbs 16.1, to man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Man plans, but God directs. And I want to give you this from the Heidelberg Catechism in relationship to Providence. They say it's the almighty and ever-present power of God whereby he still upholds, as it were, by his own hand, heaven and earth together with, with all creatures and rules in such a way that leaves, that leaves and grass, rain and drought, and we have faced some of that, fruitful and unfruitful years, food and drink, Health and sickness, riches and poverty, and everything else come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, it's good when rain comes. We rejoice. It's a little more difficult when the drought is there. It's good when there's plenty of money in the bank. It's not so good when the bank account is depleted for any of us. But it reminds us that our trust is not in our riches. That's what James is saying. Your trust cannot be in your riches. It cannot be in your skill and ability to produce riches. It has to be in the providential plan of God and what God has planned for us. And we don't know what that is. It's a mystery. We look through a glass darkly, the Bible says. But we trust the sovereign wisdom of this holy God. We trust Him. He goes on to tell us in Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God is the one who guides us. You say, what about all the evil in the world? God is in the midst of that too. He is orchestrating everything after the counsel of His will. I don't understand how all of it works, but I do know this. When you go into Romans chapter 1 and you read Romans chapter 1, you will see evil men, and here's what it says. God gave them over to. God gave them over to. God gave them over to. It says it three times. He gave them over to their evil passions. He gave them to the inclination of their heart. God gave them not to nothing. He gave them to something because he is a God of providence. And he tells us in Romans chapter 8, we know that all things do what? Work together for good. That means the good and evil that exist in our world, God is orchestrating a plan and a purpose through it all. It's not out of his control. Isis is not out of the control of God. It is not beyond his providence. It is not beyond his knowledge and his scope. He has allowed it in the purposes of his eternal plan. We don't know what that is. But we do know this. It's to turn us toward the Lord. That we look to him. And I think it should drive us to the Lord. Let me give you another one in Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails you see angels demons and satan are under the power and authority of god all we got to do is look in the old testament we can see god directing angels to do his work we can also go to the new testament and see that god told a host of demons to go into those pigs We can look in in the Old Testament and God told Satan he had permission to afflict Job with trials but you cannot take his life. You see, the providential plan of God will be worked out even in the midst of evil. When Satan is at work, God is more at work. But then he tells us this, do not fall prey to a spirit of pride. Notice what he says in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Boasting is self-glory. It is to build myself up to encourage people to look at me rather than to look at the Lord. It's one of the characteristics of fools and the ungodly, the Bible says. Philo said, Self-glorying is wrong because in it we do not acknowledge God as the giver of all good, but we forget Him and usurp His glory. In boasting, we see man's desire to be as God. In the humble... They recognize God as their only glory. Before God, the humble knows that he is only dust. And what he is and what he has is only on loan from the Lord. Our life and our possessions belong to the Lord. Boasting about our wealth is to trust in it. In Psalm 49.6, he says, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. Boy, that's just straightforward, isn't it? And then he closes with anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Well, in relationship to the context of this, He's saying, don't forget God in your business. Don't gather wealth to the neglect of doing good with it. Live according to God's moral code and his divine providence. Here's what the providence of God does for us. Because I know that's a big word and we don't use it a lot. And, and really, what it really means in simple terms is that God sees things beforehand. <laughs> if you kind of break down the word providence, you have pro and video. Pro, before, and video to see. And God can see everything beforehand, before it happens. God's providence takes away our anxiety and gives us a sense of security. My security does not come from how much money I have, or how much wisdom I have or knowledge. It comes from the providence of God, because He can strip away everything I have in a heartbeat. Life can change in a heartbeat. It's only by the providence of God And so in Matthew 6.30, he said, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God is going to provide for us. This sense of security that God gives us allows my trust in the Lord to grow. And whenever somebody's trust in the Lord grows, you know how you can tell their trust in the Lord grows? They become more faithful to the will of God. That's how we know someone's growing in their trust. There's a faithfulness that comes with trust when we trust in the Lord. Let me close with this quote from John Calvin in relationship to the providence of God. He said, Gratitude of mind for the favorable outcome of things, patience in adversity, and also incredible freedom from worry about the future all necessarily follow upon this knowledge of the providence of God. Therefore, whatever shall happen prosperously and according to the desire of his heart, God's servant will attribute wholly to God whether he feels God's beneficence through the ministry of men or has been helped by inanimate creatures. For thus he will reason in his mind, surely it is the Lord who has inclined their hearts to me, who has so bound them to me, that they should become the instruments of his kindness. And that's what God has done. He has demonstrated his kindness to us every moment of our lives. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Let me ask you where you're at in relationship to what James is telling us about. Are your achievements attributed to the hand of God? You sought the mind and the heart of God. You're not making plans without God. If you don't have God, then you're making plans without Him. What about your talk? Your talk reveals much about your relationship with God. Are you chasing a dream that God has not sanctioned in your life? What is it you are hoping to achieve? What about the brevity of our life and our legacy that we are writing each day? Is our legacy in line with God's word? Our Christian duty. Are we fulfilling our Christian duty? Or are we telling God, you know what, God, I've got you in mind for the future. <laughs> in the future, I'm going to serve you. Right now, I don't have time. Um, actually, the only time you have is now. The only time I have is now. Because none of us knows the future. That's what James is telling us. And we just need to discern to know the will of God and planning for our future. To surrendering our will to God's will, knowing that He is a providential God. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? When we see the providence of God, even in the death of Jesus, because it was prophesied that He would come and He would give His life on the cross for us, the providence of God was at work, even in the suffering Messiah, and giving His life on the cross. I'm reminded of the song that when He was on the cross, I... Was on his mind. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He wants to reconcile us to himself. It doesn't mean that when I give my life to Christ that I'll have a bed of roses. No, I could face suffering, I can face discouragement, depression, any of those things we can face, but we won't face them alone. We have a providential God who we can trust. And that trust will grow our faithfulness to him. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If not now, when? When will you give your life to Christ? When will you give your life to your Christian duty if not now? If you have questions about your personal relationship with Jesus or you have a special need that you would like prayer for, I would be glad to pray with you. Or grab another Christian brother or sister who can pray with you. That's why we're here. We're here to do life together, to grow together, to encourage one another in our walk with Christ. Let's bow together for a word of prayer.